We are in Romans chapter 5, the second half of chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. I hope everybody read it so that they can be as, uh, as confused as I get sometimes reading that. So Romans chapter 5, verse 12. So as we come to uh, this part of Romans, how many people here find that as they read through the Bible, they find uh, portions of Scripture that they find really difficult to understand or to piece together? How many have, how many have had that happen? Well, good. Now I don't feel alone. And um, we have one of those today. We have a text today here that uh, uh, is uh, by theologians through the whole, in the last 2,000 years through the New Testament times, uh, have found this to be difficult and have a lot of different uh, ideas on how they would uh, uh, study this and what it means. And we're not going to get into a lot of those because I'm not, I'm not capable of, of uh, really uh, uh, saying much about any of those type of things. But um, we want to ask God, when we ask God for us to, to see what God would have for us in this text, and one of the things I'd ask to look for, even as we read through it, is what do you really think the main theme is that Paul's trying to get across in this text? You know, Paul has just finished uh, a couple proof texts in the first four chapters on two things. Condemnation. Uh, he started out, we saw the, the issue of uh, salvation in 1, 16, 17, but then it quickly went to Condemnation. Spent a lot of time on that, the fact. And he's writing to a church. We always have to remember the audience he's writing to. He's writing to a body of believers. There may be unsaved people in that body. But he's writing to a body of, of believers and trying to encourage them in their doctrinal stability. That's a primary thing of Romans, is, that, is, a, is a doctrine that he's, he's writing to a church he's never been to. But a church that has had a lot of communication, at least between Corinth and them, and probably other uh, churches too, as people traveled. But he condemnation, and then the other one was justification. And we saw we we just saw that in the last few verses here. But those were the two main themes that he that uh, he had so far. And what he is giving us here in those was uh, he spent the time on uh, on uh, the fact of the consideration of the gift of God that was given. By faith, through Jesus Christ, the results in God's grace, big word today, I think, extended to all men, Jew and Gentile alike. That's the good news of the gospel. Now, what does grace mean? What, what do you, there's not necessarily wrong answers here, so just when you think of grace, what do you think of? Is this too loud? Okay. Um, when you think of grace, what do you think of? Okay. Anybody else? Pardon? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Anybody else? Grace. God's grace. And uh, what I wrote down here was uh, the fact that uh, God's grace um, is extended to us through no, bene- no, no reason of our own. It's an undeserving thing, but God's grace is extended to us. And we'll touch on that a little later. But God's grace uh, is definitely a part of the scriptures here that we see in Romans, isn't it? 
And in verses five, uh, ch- chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, we saw 12 blessings. Now, you may go through there and get a different column. might be 8. Some of you might find 14. I say I, I found 12. 12 blessings that are extended to us as a result of our salvation. So in those first 11 verses, and that's one of the most beautiful portions of Scripture, I think. You can't read those first 11 verses and not get some kind of excitement, maybe a tear to your eye, and an emotion of what uh, God has given us as a result of our salvation. goes back to what Wayne said, the result of grace that we didn't deserve and that we didn't have any knowledge of before salvation. So that's a, that's a big thing. And in those 11 verses... He's telling us these are benefits, these are blessings that I've given to you, or as Paul given to the Roman Christians as a result of their salvation. So now he takes a little bit of detour when he says, therefore, and we'll come to that in a minute. Now one of the things that uh, uh, kind of, it, it's kind of humorous in a way, but um, in 2 Peter 3.16, and Peter's writing uh, his letter, his letters, uh, some 10 years after Paul writes Romans. It's in the mid to late 60s that Peter is writing. And he's talking about Paul. And this is what he says. Uh, I'm not reading a whole verse, just the center of it. These are some things in them. The letters now that Paul had written. These are some things, uh, pardon me, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. And, and when I read that verse, I think, I wonder if he is talking about at least this portion of Scripture as being one of them, that they're hard to understand. And that was Peter's acknowledgement of Paul. It wasn't a criticism. It was just something that Peter found in his own life, as he writes, that there are things that Paul writes that are hard to understand. He was probably unique in that, in that sense. In 1 Corinthians 15.45, Paul, I think, uh, kind of plants the seed for what he's going to get into in this portion of Scripture. And um, I think he's, uh, he's, expanding a th- he's expanding on this thought that was written there. He says, thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Now, he makes that statement there. He doesn't expound on it. But I think now he is going to expound on some of that as we, as we read uh, uh, this portion of Scripture. So let's read through it. And then I'm going to break it down a little bit verse by verse. But I want you to think as we read through it, and I'll make some comments, so you think for your own self. And maybe you've read it this week and come up with some of these same thoughts. But, but just think with me as we read through here. He goes, therefore. Now, what that is going to do, we're not going to get into that a lot. That can be referencing uh, the first 11 verses that, as we have our Bibles broke down. Or it's probably referencing, I believe, because he uses condemnation and justification in this portion a couple of times. I think it's referencing everything he's written to this point. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Now, after that word sin, what does your Bible have there? Pardon? A line? Yeah. Anybody else? Do you have a King James or a New King James? What does it have? Parentheses are there. 
So he's making a point because he, he's, he's hyphenated the line, he's hyphenated that, and, and other uh, scriptures, other versions, you'll see the parentheses, and it's what I would call parenthetical is here, and it goes from verse 13 all the way through verse 17. So when you read this, I like to read it two ways. I like to read it from verse 12 and then go right to verse 18, because now he doubles up on that therefore. And that's not a new therefore. I believe it's a continuation of the therefore in verse 12. But he, so we can read it continuating through there without the parenthetical. No, we don't want to throw the parenthetical out. And then we can read it and we'll go through it with the parenthetical in there. But, but, but he's, he's taken a little bit of a deviation from what he's talking about here to, to explain it, to expand on what he's saying in verse 12. That's important, because we're going to see parentheticals through uh, the book of Romans that Paul uses, as he'll start the topic, and then boom, he'll, take and he'll expand on it or take a little bit of a rabbit trail, and then he comes back and finishes that up. So we'll see that here today. So he says, Therefore, just as the sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if, now sometimes in scripture, I've said this before, that word if is there. For the English language, it probably makes more sense to us if we say since. Now, I'm going to use since. I'll, I'll, I'll mention it again later. For since many died through one man's trans- trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, or since, for since because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Then he comes back to therefore. So if we go back and catch the last part of 12, it says, so death spread to all men because all sinned as one trespass led to condemnation for all men so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man sins disobedience, the many by, by the one man's disobedience, pardon me, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he's going to go on, and next week we're going to cover both chapters 6 and 7. we got to, we got to pick it up somewhere, and I felt that was a good place to pick it up. And it's going to talk about uh, dead to sin, and it's also going to talk about release from the law in, in chapter 7. So those two issues are coming, which he's already you know, uh, hinted at here. So... What do we have? In verse, chapter 5, verse 12, we see the fact of Adam's sin. 
Now, in Psalm 51, in David's great confession, in verse 5, he said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So, and we can go other places, and we'll see later in the, in the Old Testament. There's an acknowledgement of this fact of sin, and that the fact that there's death was a result of sin. There's an, there's an acknowledgement that, in that through the Old Testament. So it shouldn't be a new thought. But what is the death he's talking about here in verse 12? Take a look there. He says, through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. What death is he talking about, you think? Spiritual death? Okay, anybody else? Spiritual? Yes. Yes. And, and did somebody else have something? I thought I heard another voice. Um, but I, I think that's what it is. I think he's talking about both spiritual death and physical death here. But there's a, there's a change that comes. And, and I think we want to see that, because if you read verse 12, like I said, then go right to verse 18, what does he say in verse 18? Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. And there's a, there's a change, I think, in his verbiage, because death and condemnation... Uh, are fairly synonymous. But he talks about death in the first part, and then he goes on to talk about death of people uh, before Moses. Death reigned in verse 14 from Adam to Moses. He talks about physical death taking place. But the continuation from verse 12 to verse 18, as I see it, is now he's moving to spiritual death. And let's keep that in mind as we go forward. That I think, I think the main topic here, he's talking to a, a, a group of Christians at Rome. I'm sure they've all lost family members. They probably had funerals for people while they were meeting as a church and all these things. They understand that physical death is there. But I think Paul's main emphasis here is spiritual death. I think that's important for us to understand, even as we talk to people. There's a funeral yesterday. There's, there's funerals all the time. There's one in town. And physical death is there, but spiritual death is our greatest concern, not the physical death, because physical death is going to happen. So when we see it here, I think we want to remember again who Paul's writing to, and that this is not, he's not out in an evangelistic campaign, evangelism campaign. He's not in Galatia or Asia where he's going into towns, he's, 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 he's speaking the gospel to people that... Uh, aren't aware of it or don't understand it, and he's seeing people get saved, and he's starting these churches in all these areas. That's not, that's not what he's doing here at Rome. That's already been done. And he's coming in, and he's talking about a certain topic of theology. So the result of a man's trespass is condemnation or God's wrath. We have already covered that, God's wrath. We know God's wrath isn't just hell. That's the ultimate of God's wrath. 
we see God's wrath happening, I think, all around us, whether it be the weather situations or the lawlessness and all these things, I think are part of God's wrath that we live in. But I think the key word here is in verse 12 where it says, all sin, because that's where we're headed. All have sinned. Everybody. It's not unique to Rome. and It's all have sinned. He told us that, didn't he, in verse three, or chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And he, he repeated a little bit here in one of the blessings back in verse 8. He says, but God shows his love for us and that while we are still sinners, all have sinned, in other words, Christ died for us. So that's a repeated topic as he goes through here. When we get to this parenthetical in verse, uh, verses uh, 13 through 17, if you have anything, please, uh, I might not see you. Just holler. That doesn't bother me. Uh, you can holler as long as you don't call me anything. Just, just, just holler, okay? Verses 13 through 17. In 13 and 15, it says, Where there was law, read that with me, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Now, what did we talk about with law back here a couple chapters ago? Anybody remember? We have the law of Moses. Was there anything else that we have that we understand in law? Somebody remembers that. Okay. So there's, there, there's two types of law. And one was the nature of man. Because there was law before Moses gave the law. But when Moses gave the law, and we're going to see that, it expanded the trespass. It, it, it enumerated the trespass. Why? Because with the law came knowledge of sin. But there was law before Moses. Uh, we've talked about, even in our day and age, you can go to countries that are really backward-type countries, and you go into a village, there's you, uh, you, uh, in a lot of those places, one of the big ones is, you deal with somebody else's wife, you're dead. You're dead. There's law, and there's judgment. and there's So law has always been there. It's just that with the Jews especially, they always to the Mosaic law, where Paul many times points back to the Abrahamic covenant as being the big issue to look at in this day and age. So law has always been there. Whether it's, and in Romans chapter 2, verses... Um, 12 through 14. I'll read that week real quick. So this will help you remember, and we're going to grab a word here. For all, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. Now that would be whom? We're talking about two parties here. Jews and Gentiles. Who would that be? Gentiles. The Gentiles without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. That's a Jews. So both of them, both of them are, are, are going to be, there's going to be a punishment. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. So, and, and we know ultimately it goes on, to, it's a matter of the heart the circumcision of the heart, and so on. So we know that there was law throughout the history of mankind, starting from Adam and Eve on, because God laid the law down to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. 
they're going to die. There's a punishment for their sin. They're going to die. So when we look at, when we look at what uh, um, Paul is dealing with here, he's letting them know that there was a law. There was a judgment that was always there. There's a law of Moses. And the other one that we read there was uh, conscience, the matter of conscience. Uh, that was back in, in chapter 2. So he, he talked about the heart and conscience. And we talked the fact that after innocence, after Adam and Eve sinned, what did God do? He brought about the idea of conscience. An innate, natural understanding of right and wrong. Not absolute. The conscience is still there. We still exercise under conscience. It's still a part of us. And that's what Paul is pointing out here, that whether you're Jew or Gentile, he's talking to primarily a Gentile church, there was law. There's always been law. There was law before the law of Moses. And that law was written on your hearts. It's part of your conscience, that innate nature that God has given us. So the realization of sin was, a, was before the law, and it was a matter of heart, and it was a matter of conscience. So we're still in the parenthetical. Let's look at verses 15 through 17. Okay? Verses 15 through 17. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For since many died through one man's trespass, much more the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin, for the judgment following one, one trespass, one trespass now, brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses, brought justification. So we'll stop there. What do we see here in this contrast that's taking place? The contrast, is, as I see it, well, I'll ask you, what do you see as a contrast taking place here? Again, we said at the beginning, condemnation and justification. That's the contrast that Paul is giving here, condemnation and justification. And there's these little words that, 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 kind, of, that kind of crop up in, in here that, uh, that I think is the real theme of this portion of Scripture, and that word is grace. Grace and free gift. Now, grace and free gift are married. They, they, I, believe, I believe they come from the same uh, base word. Grace and free gift. God has, has, has extended his grace, and he's... It's a picture of what that looks like, his grace being extended, and the free gift. Now, we've, we've referenced John 1.12 many times, the receiving of that free gift. So as he's talking to these people, they understand the free gift part. I think he's helping them to better understand God's grace part. And this is, to me, this is so, this is so big, because what does he say here? Adam was a type, he said, of Christ. What's a type? What's another word we could use for type? A model, pardon me? Uh, okay, yeah, a model. You sowers, what do you use? A pattern. It's a, it's a pattern. Christ is a pattern, or Adam is a pattern or a type of Christ. Now, we know Adam's not eternal, Adam could not provide salvation. Adam couldn't do any of those things. But he was the first man. His name means man. 
and some will carry that to a, uh, to a model, but I'm not even going to get into that. Uh, so Adam is a man, but Jesus Christ was also a man. He came in sinful flesh, but he was perfect man, and he provided the, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the op- opposite of what Adam provided. Adam provided sin, death, destruction to mankind and to his heirs. Jesus Christ provides uh, justification, salvation, sanctification, all the things we can think of that are provided to man as a free gift. And, yeah. Yeah, okay. God created him. Yeah. So, when we look at this, what's the word that comes up over and over? It's grace. The unmerited divine favor or assistance for regeneration and sanctification that allows us a new status in our lives. We are able to achieve a status that was not achievable outside of God's grace. And in verse 15 through 17, we see seven times where the word is used either grace or free gift, which is a relative of, of, uh, of uh, grace. Verse 15, grace, much more. Grace abounded. Verse 16, grace or free gift, either one, brought justification. Verse 17, grace, much more. Grace and righteousness. Grace and our ability to reign in life, which I believe is our sanctification, is also a product of grace. God has freely extended his grace. There's this huge umbrella, is the way I would see it, that's extended over mankind. That's God's grace that's available to everybody. Now, we can get into, you know, some would take this scripture and say it's only available to the elect. And, uh, you know... The elect are the ones that receive it. But you know what? The unsaved receive a certain amount of God's grace too. Uh, He hasn't sent the rain here. He's withheld his grace for some time. Well, there's a purpose, I believe, in that. And if he does send rain this fall, it's God's grace. The rain falls on the unjust alike, the Bible tells us. But what I see here in this is God's grace is kind of a miracle of miracles. Because it's the umbrella of the God's grace that's bestowed upon, what's the last words in verse 12 we said? What does the end of verse 12 say? Somebody just please say it. All send. It's, it's an umbrella that extends over all mankind. All that have sinned. And God's grace is there. Verse 15 has not only canceled the penalty of Adam's transgression but allows us to reign in life. Still sin, but we can gain sanctification that's not available to the unrighteous. So with God's grace to the saved person, spiritual death is canceled. Spiritual death reigns. Both deaths are are involved in in verse uh, 12. As we get to verse 18 in a minute here, we see it's spiritual death is the main topic that I see Paul trying to stress here. In, in this uh, portion of scripture. Verse 16 emphasizes the co- contrast of Adam and Christ. Let's look at that again. 
For what? And the free gift is not the result of that one man's sin. It's not the result of Adam's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses, what's that talking about? Many trespasses. And uh, I think Adam brought upon all men the condemnation for only one offense. But when Christ came, Christ delivers us and delivers many offenses. Not just the one offense, but the many offenses are, are delivered by Christ. And we go on to verse 17, for, for since because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. There's our parenthetical, verses 13 through 17. So in verse 18 and 19, uh, keep this moving, we have a continuation of verse 12, as I said. And there's a contrast here of result, the results of Adam's disobedience and the results of Christ's obedience. And here, when we look at verses, if you go back to verse 12, you see there, it says, therefore, just as. That just as is applying to Adam. Just as sin came into the world, into the, into the world then it says, and so death, or it could say, so also death, spread to all men, because all sinned. When we get to verse 18, we see those but they're contrasts. So therefore, as one trespass, or just as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so as, or, or so also, you could say, one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. And we're going to go through, there's three contrasts there, as you read that. Those words are important. Because they tell us who they're addressing. Just as, and so also. Now, the also isn't always in there, but the, 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 the thought is still there. It makes sense to me in English to look at it that way. Just as, so also. Just as, so also. So that we go down to the second one, and it says in verse 19, For just as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so also by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. So the contrasting of Adam and the contrasting of Jesus Christ. The first Adam and the last Adam. Now, what, was the two, what, are, the, what are the things that tie Adam and Jesus Christ as the two people here that we're talking about? What did they bring into the world that would tie them together? Pardon? Okay, people without sin? Anybody else? What did Adam bring? Pardon? He brought sin, and what did that sin do? It spread what? Pardon? It brought death, but, it, but uh, it's right. But sin spread to all men because of what? Verse 12, all sin. So that's what Adam brought. Death to all men, but all have sinned. And Jesus Christ brought what? Pardon? Life. The word justification is used there. Jesus, where Adam brought condemnation and both physical and spiritual death, Jesus Christ brings 
justification, which, which guarantees uh, freedom and, and uh, brings, brings about a spiritual life, an eternal life. Death's still there, but eternal life. So that's the contrast that I see there, but I see the overriding thing that, that Paul is getting at here is the issue of, uh, of, uh, uh, the issue of grace and how grace as this umbrella has encompassed so much for mankind if we simply receive it. That should make us excited. Now, how many have, believed, how many have listened or heard the idea of original sin? We've all heard original sin. So what's original sin? What's original sin? That's been a topic that I've heard a lot of messages, mostly back in the 70s and 80s. Uh, But I found that theologians uh, consider this portion of Scripture as the most important text now, I'm going by what I, what I read from uh, several theologians. They consider this the most important text to deal with original sin. And the fact that original sin then is covered. So, now I don't see original sin here. I don't see federal headship. I don't see seminal headship. I don't see any of those things here. here and I don't read those things in the Bible. So I think sometimes... We can, get, we can get drugged down into some of these things because theologians have struggled with these things for hundreds of years and come to no conclusions. What I see here is the umbrella of grace that Paul is showing to these believers at Rome that exists for them. The fact of grace uh, here, the focal point, as being much more, as being a free gift, as being as abounding, as being justified, justification, uh, reigning in life. We can reign in our life because of the King of Kings. Righteousness. And the reason for the parenthetical and occlusion of this uh, topic comes in verse 20 and 21. And that, I think, is that grace has reigned. But before we read that, how does this fit into... Yes, Mike. Sure. Yeah, but there's a question that comes in there. Do we sin because we're sinners, or are we sinners because we sin? You know, um, what I'm trying to get to here is, I think in theology sometimes a lot is one trespass. Jesus Christ covered multitudes of trespasses. Why? Because all have sinned. So let me ask this question. We talk about the fate of infants and uh, those with limited mental capacity. I have my own thought here. 
I'll decide whether I'm going to share it or not. But what do we see, like, in the Old Testament? Who, whose sin, if, if, if you were an unsaved person today, whose sin are you going to die for and go to hell for? Say it. Myself. Yourself? Anybody else? Anybody want to say both? Adam's sin and, and our own sin? Because in Deuteronomy 24.12, and I won't turn there, and we got the master on Deuteronomy sitting back here. In 24.16, and in Jeremiah 31, 29.30, both of those say that people are going to die for their own iniquity. The father is not going to die because of the son's sin. The son's not going to die because of the father's sin. They're going to die because of their own sin. We are liable for our own sin. And that is Old Testament theology, if you will. Now, what's one of the big proof texts of that in uh, 2 Samuel 12, 23? David, where he says, I shall go to him, talking about his son that died as a result of his sin with Bathsheba. There was judgment, there was God's wrath. I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. And that, along with those other Old Testament scriptures, and there's more, there's more, um, I think tell us that there was an understanding under Old Testament theology that men die for their own sin. God's not going to condemn anybody for somebody else's sin. They die for their own sin. And I think, I think that's fairly clear. So, does of uh, grace, relative grace, extend far enough to bring for babies and the mentally ill because they are not knowledgeable of what? Sin. They don't know sin. You know, I think of all these aborted babies. Um, man is doing that uh, out of a reprobate moral type mindset that they're not a human. Uh, God is populating heaven with those babies. Does that make it right? Do we sin because this is good? Do we commit to sin because, oh, the baby's going to go to heaven, so we'll do it now and wait and not, not have it stray into the world of uh, sin? No. God views that as man's corruption. I view that also as God's salvation. Now, my wife has a sister who was born healthy, well, not very long anyway. She got sick right away. And she died as a very young child. I have complete confidence that baby is in heaven. Why? Because that baby did not commit any sin that God is going to appoint him to die for. And I know there are going to be good theologians that will tie in the Adamic sin there's some people that believe that uh, only the children of saved people will go to heaven, and the children of unsaved people, if they die, will go to hell as babies. There's, people, there's all kinds of different uh, tracks that this can take if you get into the theology books. And to me, it's kind of crazy because the person who has a baby before they get saved that dies, does that one go to hell? But then if they have a baby after they're saved that dies, does that one go to heaven? 
You, you see how that, that gets to be? And then some will say, well, yeah, but God knew that they are going to get saved, so his grace extended. Well, no, the umbrella of grace, I think, is equal for everybody. And to me, the umbrella of grace, much more abounding, and what Paul was trying to get at here is, I believe that covers everybody in birth from uh, not being a sinner, but from the penalty of Adam's sin. And I know there's plenty of people that will disagree with that. But if you do, then you've got a whole other understanding of this portion of Scripture. And that's very possible. So what we have here, I think, is the overabounding theme. Read it this week and see if you come out with the same thought. The overabounding theme of God's grace. And in those ten verses, they just follow eleven verses of the God extending all those blessings, as I count them, 12 blessings, to anybody that's saved. And then he comes here and tells us how. Because of the overbounding grace of God. It's available to all. Next week, we'll do 6 and 7. And that'll be the struggle against sin, the struggle against the law. Yes, Mike. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. At the same time, there's a reason that the whole new. T- Because of the need for us in the church to continue on a path of sanctification. You know, God doesn't write any letters to the unsaved. He writes letters to the saved. Why? Because there's a need for us to have a better understanding of God's word and God's plan. He doesn't write it to the unsaved because they're not going to understand it. And he makes that clear in different scriptures. So we want to make sure that as we... I don't disagree with Mike... Um, as we go about doing our responsibility as a saved person, that we also have a, sub- a responsibility of ourselves to become more knowledgeable of the Word of God. And not just, you know, hang on to five, six, or ten trite verses or statements in the Bible, and then we hang all of our theology on top of that, because pretty soon that's going to that's gonna crumble. So we, 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 we want to learn for ourselves, too. We, we have to mature as Christians. We have to deal, uh, God wants us to deal with our sanctification. Okay, we'll let you go. Thank you much.